Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. That was a pretty good show watching him carry out the table and chair, wasn't it? Did everybody see that right there? That was hilarious. I was watching. I was watching and trying to pick them both up, and because everybody forgot to take it out and bring it out forward. But uh, I said, "Just, just go." I said, "Just go. It'll be okay." And then Bruce saved the day when he couldn't get my helper. Well, it's good to be with you today, this morning. You guys doing good so far? Yes. Had a good worship time, right? Yes. Okay, praise the Lord. That's good. Um, well, this morning we're going to start with a new verse. Um, we it's First Peter three fifteen. You guys already put it up on the screen. And you guys ready to repeat this verse? We'll spend like so many, maybe about five, six weeks in this verse at the very beginning just to memorize it, understand. Here we go. One, two, three. But, okay, okay, so there we go. That was not close, okay? (laughs) Here we go. One, two, three. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and with reverence. Now, let's just focus on this. You know, obviously, this is about making a defense of your faith. But it says to, put it back up there for me. You, you guys, there you go. But it says to sanctify Christ, meaning to set him apart as number one, as the Lord of your life. Because when you get into defending the faith, if Christ is not number one, you're not sold out to what the scriptures say, then you'll always be open to any foreign thinking or upside down thinking. And there's plenty of upside down thinking in these days. And there's too many, to be honest with you, I hear too many Christians that are very on the, on the liberal biblical side. And it's just like, I don't understand where they're getting that from. They're not getting it from here. So you got to sanctify Christ. You got to make him number one. And that way, when you do share faith, you're solid. You're not going to fall prey to any other types of thinking. Amen? Okay, good. Now, <clears throat> Today, oh, and by the way, um, last week in first service, uh, thank you for a couple of you coming up to me after me and tell me, because I kept saying that, uh, that Paul was Zeus and Barnabas was Hermes. Anybody catch that last week? Yes. Yeah, how come nobody saved me? <laughs> you let me keep, you let me do that like four or five times in the service. You didn't, I didn't catch that I was saying it backwards, and, nobody, and a few people came up and told me afterwards. So next time, just wave at me and say, and say Okay, something, so I, so I know what's wrong, all right? So, but, thank you, but thank you for that, because I was just like, I, once I started saying it, I was, I was saying it. And so, uh, but today I want to talk about, as we continue in Acts, um, how can I know I'm really a Christian? Uh, that's really what Acts 15 really questions. And one of the questions I ask, um, I try to put forth is about this idea is, how do I know I'm really a Christian? Because it's really the question of how good is good enough? How good do I have to be to be good enough to be saved, to be a Christian? And there are just enough people, Christians in this world, that struggle with the idea, am I really a Christian? Now let me just ask this question, uh, just in the general audience here. How many of you in this room struggle here and there with the, with the thought, am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? Just raise your hand. I'd like to know. If there, you know. Just raise your hand. Okay. Raise it up high. Raise it up. It's okay. It's okay. Now, th- those are spiritual battles that are taking place in your mind. There's other people that raise their hand, but they just won't raise their hand no matter. I could give away $10 bills. They're not going to raise their hand, okay? But um, all the religions, I should say, 
All the major religions of the world, except Christianity, says that you have to do good works, good deeds, to be saved. And so if you fall prey to that thinking, and the question is, is and I ask this whenever people share with me from other faiths or cults and stuff, I always ask, because I know they're based on doing good deeds, I always ask, okay, I have to get into that point of, of getting to admit that they're said by what they do. I said, okay, so how many good deeds is enough? And you've heard me say this before, but it bears repeating so you get this one down. I get them to the point where I say, how many good deeds is enough? I say 150, 500, 700. Is it 1,000? Because once I hit that mark, then I don't have to do any more good deeds, right? And they, oh, no, you got to keep doing good deeds. I said, then I say, so therefore I can never know if I'm really saved. I'll never know when it's absolutely enough. And so I'll always dialogue with people who lean in that direction that you've got to do good works to be saved. Now our context today is purely salvation. As a Christian, Christians, we, after we're saved, we do good works. So don't think I'm against good works. We do good works. Acts says that Jesus went about doing good deeds. He, he did those things. But today I want to talk about that struggle. Am I really saved? And I want to show you this debate that's going on. In, it's actually the first church council in, in the history of, of the church. Now, when it comes to the idea, am I good enough? Do I do enough good deeds? I'm doing this. Um, uh, there are some people uh, that have left church, all churches, because they just finally felt like, I just can't live up to all this stuff. And so they just walk away. There's other people that have got the idea that I'm never going to go to church because I can't live up to all that stuff. I can't do all that stuff. And so this whole idea of salvation, remember, contextually, salvation only, is uh, if we tie it to doing good deeds, it can be a real uh, burden in our lives. And so today I want to look at this uh, situation that, uh, that takes place in Acts 15. If you have your Bible, it's Acts 15. And it's going to be, there's going to be a, a division. And then the division leads to a discussion, a debate at the church council, the first church council everywhere. But let me tell you something about what we're going to talk about today. If you're unsure at times, or if you're wondering, am I really a Christian? Am I really doing this? You know, that's going to lead to relationship insecurity with God. And you'll never have peace. And you'll never be secure with God. And the one thing you do want with God is peace and security. Amen to that one? You do not want to walk around ever wondering these things because it will rob you of the peace of your life as it pertains to salvation. Now, with that said, what we're going to do today is we're going to go into Acts 15. I'm going to do a little, just a little bit of commentary. And then we're going to go into uh, Peter's three defenses. He's going to make three defenses, statements of defending faith, uh, salvation by grace through faith. The third, the first two points are just real fast. But the third point, we're going to expand out pretty wide and hit some areas as I've observed in what these scriptures say, as I've observed in my life over 40 some years of walking with God and being in church 40 some years. So here we go, Acts chapter 15. You guys ready? Okay, good. Acts 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, and here's what they're teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So now we got some people, 
and they're coming and they're talking to the brethren and they're saying, guess what? Unless you get circumcised, you cannot be saved. So now we find that there's opposition not outside the church, but now the opposition is coming from inside the church. And you'll have these types of things happen so every so often where somebody comes in, they're trying to bring in a false doctrine in the church. I mean, wouldn't, don't you think Satan would love to do that? Because if he can get us in false doctrine, he can get us way off base. So now it comes from within. Now they're saying that you're not really saved unless you're circumcised. Now think about that. Let's go back a couple thousand years. Let's say we're all living 2,000 years ago. And if that was the case, guess what? If you drove up, you're married, let's say you're a married man, you have a wife, kids, you drove up, they get you to come to church, they pull in the par- you pull in the parking lot 2,000 years ago, you're a Gentile, and your wife says, oh yeah, by the way, if you're gonna get saved, you gotta get circumcised. I guarantee you most men would say, you know what, you guys go in, and I'll just wait in the car and watch it online, okay? Because what they're saying is that you cannot be a Christian unless you get a surgery. Can you believe that? You have to get a surgery or else you're not a Christian. That's what they're saying right off the get-go. Now, verse 2 says, And Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they're not having any of it. When these guys introduce circumcision, that you must be saved with circumcision, they're saying, oh, no, no, no. In other words, they're coming down hard now. And they're saying, we're not allowing this false doctrine in. And when it comes to false doctrine, you've got to stand up to it, correct? You cannot allow it to come in. So they're standing their ground, and they're, they're pushing back on this. Now notice, they say, let's go back to Jerusalem, and we'll deal with this. And the question is, why don't they just deal with it there? Well, I think the answer, and I think, isn't I think, I think the answer is, if you look back at uh, verse 1 in chapter 15, these guys, these circumciser guys, they came from Judea. Where is Jerusalem located? In Judea. So they're going to go back to where these guys are from. Let's go back there and let's go talk to the big guns over there because they're all church people, but the big guns are back in Jerusalem. But here they're in Antioch right now. So they're going to go back there. Verse 3. Oh, and by the way, uh, no, that, I covered it. Verse 3. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. So as they're walking back to Jerusalem, they're telling everybody, they will, they will hear them, all the church people, hey, this is what's happening with Gentiles. They're getting saved by the grace of God through faith. And everybody's rejoicing. And then verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. So they're telling everybody, here's what's going on with the Gentiles. Great. But here it comes. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, did you catch who these guys were? They're Pharisees. You guys remember who Pharisees were? But now you find that Pharisees are becoming Christians. Isn't that something? But how many of you know, like you and like me, when we came to Christianity, we still have a lot of old baggage and beliefs we brought with us? They do too. They do too. So kind of cut them a little bit of slack. But these sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up. And here's what they say. 
Yeah, we, with this grace, faith thing, yeah. But it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter. So now the debate's going to happen. Now here's the, the defense in a second. Now let me tell you what, what's going on here so you understand it. They say, okay, that's really cool that everybody's getting saved by God's grace through your personal faith. But it is necessary that they must be circumcised. Now, first question, what is the issue? Why do they push circumcision so hard? These Pharisees, these Jewish men. Well, it's a very simple answer. If you go back in time to the very first Hebrew ever, who is who? Abraham. Father Abraham. Remember Father Abraham? Remember that? Okay, he's the very first Hebrew. And so the outward sign that he was a follower of Yahweh in Genesis chapter 17, God said, you must be circumcised. And so that was the outward sign for a person, uh, for a Hebrew to say, I'm a believer in Yahweh God. Today, the outward symbol, would, one of them is water baptism. It doesn't save you, but it's water baptism, outward sign, outward symbol. So that's the first thing. But then they say, in verse 5, they, they say, and they must observe the law of Moses. Now, I think the average person in this room, when you hear the law of Moses, you think of the Ten Commandments. It's not what they're talking about. They're talking about way more. They're talking about that, but way more. You see, in their minds, the way they view things, there were 613 Old Testament laws. So they're saying... You have to get a surgery, obey 613 laws, and have faith in Jesus, and then you are really... I mean, how many people would say, well, forget that. I can't do those types of things. That's just very, very... That's just too hard. So now you see this big fight taking place, this debate, I should say. Are we saved by the grace of God or by and by and faith, or do I have to tack on all these works like circumcision and obey 613 laws which is because that's the fight right now now let me throw out some things really quick just to eliminate them for the process of elimination so i can move on to what peter's defense can i just do that very quick just for the sake of maybe a few of us in this room let's take water baptism which is a right thing and a good thing but it's after the fact of salvation water baptism does not save anyone amen it doesn't save you it doesn't make you more Christian. It doesn't make you better Christian. It's strictly an outward uh, symbol of something that's already taken place in your heart. It's a testimony to people who come to watch you get water baptized that you're stating to them, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I got baptized as a baby. Anyone? I got baptized as a baby, yeah. And so that was for my parents. You think I remember it? No. But they baptized me in that system of thinking that I came up through because they said I had some kind of original sin, right? Okay, like I had sinned. I'm carrying some sin. I'm not. Because James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, if a man knows the right thing to do but does not do it to him, it is sin. In other words, to commit a sin, you must know you, you must have knowledge of what sin is, right? A baby doesn't have any knowledge of sin. A baby doesn't know any of that stuff. So how can a baby have sin? 
So to get baptized to wash away some kind of original sin? No, not at all. Now, do I have a sin nature? Yeah, I have a sin nature. I bent that way, but I've never committed a sin yet. I was just a baby. When I became a Christian, an adult, then I got water baptized after I got saved because I'm now a follower of Christ testifying to people that I'm saved. But water baptism doesn't save anyone. Because if that was the case, when Jesus was on the cross and the one man repents on the cross, Jesus would have said, stop the show. Let's everybody jump off the cross right now. I got to water baptize this guy. But he didn't do that, did he? Because water baptism doesn't save anyone. Now, that's one thing you just want to get out of your head. Now, let me give you another one because I think this is where some of us fall prey. And it's dangerous. Have you ever... Um, some of us will relate to this. You ever look at a Christian and by their behavior, the way they live, you go, I don't think they're really a Christian. Raise your hand, be honest. How many have ever done that? Be honest, come on. Okay. Okay, good. You guys are like me, okay? I had to outgrow this one. I get, I, because the problem is we look at somebody and we say, by their behavior, that thing they're doing or that, they, they can't be saved. Oh, yeah, no, they're not involved. They just can't be saved. Whatever, whatever the dialogue you use in your own mind. But the, the, the issue is they're not doing the right works, if you think about it. Now, there's a problem by saying that about someone because, first off, can you and I really know what's in a person's heart? See, that's my big beef with social media and the media and journalists and everybody and all these crazy thoughts going around society because what they're all saying is, I know what's in that person's heart and I know what's in that person's heart. No one can know what's in another person's heart. Jeremiah says, you and I can't even know fully what's in our own heart. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 that only the Spirit of God within a man can fully know what's in the man's heart or woman's heart. And you got all these people on social media everywhere. Oh, this is this, and they're that, and they're because. Really? You don't know what's in a person's heart. Now, when it comes to looking at someone and saying, I don't think they're really a Christian, did you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15, it's the, it's, it's the text on good works. That as a Christian, we're all going to stand before Jesus Christ one day, and we're going to be judged, not for salvation, we're already saved, but on our good works. Did we do good works for Jesus? Did we do God works? And some people, it says there in verse 15, all their works, they weren't for God, but they're Christian, will be burned up in the judgment, but they still will be saved. Did you hear what I said? See, there are some people that say, I don't think they're Christian. How do you know? You don't know that. But they're going to make it. They're going to be Christian. They're believers in Christ, grace through faith, just because they didn't have all their good works. Their rewards will be limited in eternity, but they're still saved. And so you and I, it's very dangerous to look at somebody and say, uh, I don't really think they're saved. You don't know. You don't know that. So you always want to be careful with those types of things, okay? And I know you didn't, but you could probably give me examples of, but that person, yeah, I get it. But, 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 but just, you can't always know when you're looking at a Christian in church and this and that, and they're like, but they're living this thing in their life. Yeah, I, I get it, I get it. I feel, feel the same way, but the scriptures tell me otherwise. I, I don't, really don't know. Now, with that said, here's Peter's defense. Now, Peter's gonna say, okay, you guys say there's gotta be circumcision and obey these 613 laws. In other words, you gotta do all these works to be saved. Here's Peter's defense. First two, very quick. 
Number one, Peter says to them, why did the Holy Spirit choose me and not you to take the gospel to the Gentiles? Very logical answer question, right? Look at verse seven. He says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter just said, hey guys, if your way's the right way and they should have been circumcised and obey 613 laws, then why did the Holy Spirit choose me and not you to take the gospel to the Gentiles? You have to just go back to chapter 10 and 11. Remember, he goes to the home of Cornelius, the Gentile in Caesarea. And so, can you imagine they're sitting in the room and when Peter says that, they all go, well, that makes, yeah, you're right. That makes a lot of sense, right? It's very logical. Now watch the second thing that Peter says, point two. His second point of defense, he says, God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit. Huh. Now watch verse eight. And God, and God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. Now Peter says this. One, God sent me, not you. Two, when I got to the Gentiles, I shared, they put faith in, I never laid a hand on them. I didn't pray for them. And yet the Holy Spirit came down and baptized in power like Acts 2. They even spoke in tongues. If you go back to the home, you watch it all right there. That the Holy Spirit came down. He says, I, I didn't circumcise any of them. I didn't give them 613 laws. We didn't have any festivals. We did nothing except they heard the message and they put faith in Jesus and the grace of God and they were saved. And you can imagine everybody in that room, including the Pharisees, born-again Pharisees, are going, that's right. That's right. There was nothing that those people did to be saved except put faith in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Now, Peter is gonna drill down deeper and I'm gonna expand this further now and I'm gonna illustrate point three because this is something that is so important in my mind as far individually and for a church. And that's number three. God places his spirit in cleansed hearts. Say that with me. God places his spirit in cleansed hearts. Say it again. God places his spirit in cleansed hearts. Okay. The big question is, who, what? What cleanses a heart? What cleansed your heart and my heart? Did water baptism cleanse your heart? Question, yes or no? Did keeping all the laws cleanse your heart? Not at all. Okay, let's get into this. How is a heart cleansed? There's three quick boom, boom, boom in your notes right now. The first one is, let's go with who. Who cleanses the heart? God does it, right? So God cleanses the heart. Okay, that moves away from, I have to cleanse my own heart. God cleanses the heart. Look at verse nine. Read it with me. We're gonna read it three times. Here you go, one, two, three. And he, this God, made no distinction between us and them, us Jews and them Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. Stop, stop. So he is God 
He makes no distinction. And remember Acts 10, 34 says, God does not show partiality between one and the other. Put me, go, give me that verse back. Don't, don't, don't rob me of that verse. It says, cleansing their hearts by faith. So God cleans the heart, right? God does it. Do you and I do that? No, none of us can do that. Only God can do that. Okay, now that's the who. Now watch the how. The how is this. By what? So our heart is cleansed by faith. God cleansed by faith. Now look at verse nine. He, God, made no distinction between us and them. Read it. Cleansing their hearts by faith. So the moment I put faith in God, because the grace of God is coming at me, I'm believing, and now by faith my heart is cleansed. Correct? You follow me? Have I done any good works yet? I've done nothing yet. I've just, it's my faith. Now watch this. Now the, the next question is the when. When does that happen? And that is this. Say it with me. The moment we believe. Okay, look at verse 9. Read it again. Read it. One, two, three. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Question, question. The moment I put my, my, my faith in God, the moment, what happens? The moment. The moment, what happens? My heart is what? The moment you said that prayer, or however you said it, and said, Jesus, I put faith in you, in that moment, my heart is cleansed. No process. No, you got to get this. No, you got to, you can't go, you, you got to obey 630 laws. No water baptism. No, just the moment I do that. Correct? Correct. Am I saved at that moment? Have I done any good works? No, nothing. But I'm saved. And it's settled. And that's the diff- fundamental difference between Christianity and all major religions. You and I cannot work our way to God through good works. God came down to us, and the moment I put my faith in God, my heart is completely cleansed. Is it not? Okay, now we're going to get into that a little more, but let me, let me tell you this, because I, I, I got to get into this part. So let me try to explain all this. Okay, you guys know I'm a granddad, right? Okay, good. Because if you didn't know, you'll find out week after. No, I'm just joking. Okay, so, so I've, got, I've got five, six on the way. So six months away from the next boy, he's coming. Um, and so um, it was like two weeks ago. I think, I think it was two weeks ago. Nolan, I get Nolan. Nolan's like a year old. And he's the only boy of all the grandkids right now. There's four girls, and he's the boy. He's the youngest of all the grandkids right now. And I get a hold of him, and I have a clean shirt on. How many granddads know exactly what I'm talking about? Okay. I didn't know that Nolan had a little bit of a runny nose. Because you've ever seen a baby's nose run with snot? I didn't catch it, okay? So I'm holding him, and Nolan likes, he's moving around, and we do this, boop, 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 and he goes crazy over that little song I made up and stuff like that. And some of you got crazy right now, didn't you? But anyway, and I, I don't realize that he's going like this, and, and I give him to somebody else, and I look, and there's snot, and there's snot, and there's snot. And I'm like, okay, there's snot. And then a little later on, Nolan, uh, his sister Lincoln, has a graham cracker, and Nolan, whatever she's eating, Nolan is going, he's going to get that food because Nolan likes to eat. And so he, they give him a graham cracker. I go, Gigi, that's Olivia. Gigi, get him graham crackers. Get whatever he wants, get it for him. How many granddads know that one, right? So he's getting it. And you know when the, the, the kid, they're eating it, and the edge of the graham cracker has a lot, it's moist, right? From their mouth, right? Well, I don't realize that he's going like this to me. <laughs> and, and it's like, and now I have snot all over my shirt, and, and now I have graham cracker everywhere. Now question, grandfathers, healthy ones, do you think I got angry? No, no. 
Do you think I go, Nolan? Do you look at my new shirt or my clean shirt? I go, I'm going to give you the 613 laws that you must follow if we're going to relate to each other, if you're going to be in right standing with me. Do you got that, Nolan? I know you're 13 months old, but do you get it? Do you think I did that? There's no way, huh? I looked at my shirt and I go, whatever. Right? Because what does it matter? Because I am relating and I want that little boy to relate to me. I want him to know his granddad. I want him to know he's, here's the key. I, he's, he could spit on my shirt and he's still in right standing with his granddaddy. And his granddaddy loves him. As I look at that boy, he's got a good heart. Even though he's sinning all over my body. <laughs> and that's the way God is. That's the way God is. He, no one's not getting anything perfect. No one couldn't obey any laws again. But it's okay because granddaddy loves him. And he's always in right standing. He never, here's the, here's the key. He never has to worry, where do I stand with granddaddy? Did you hear what I said? How many of you in this room at times, because when you sin, you get that feel or that thought, something like, where do I stand with God right now? Where do I stand with God? Are we still okay, God? You still love me? I just messed up. I just committed that sin I said I'd never do again. Scared to raise your hand? We feel that way, huh? Let me take it deeper. How many of us in a marriage, you feel like, I've got to get this right, I've got to live it this way, I've got to get it this, because if I do, I can see the way my spouse looks at me with that face, or what they say to me, or the correction, they correct me, and I feel like I always got to get their rules right, I, otherwise we're not in right standing. And there's insecurity in the relationship. Any amens? See, it's not just with God we have that problem. It's with human relationships. Can you imagine? If, you, if you're a child, some of you lived this. You, when you're a child, and you just couldn't get it right, and you try to please your dad or mom, and you try to please your, and you can't get it right because you just kept getting it wrong, and they would tell you, and they would tell you, and you never felt like, or you always thought, where do I stand with mom and dad? Anybody? Anybody? That's relationship insecurity, huh? And then we take all this junk because we're all fallen people and then we apply it to God and we think God's that way. Where do I stand with God? God, do you care? Do you love me still? I messed up. I just did that thing that I told you I'd never do again. Am I really saved? Okay. Am I making sense to anybody? Okay. Because this is where Satan really gets in and he starts to attack us. Let me tell you what's happening in that moment when you wonder, because you didn't get it right, I didn't keep that law of God. And there are laws of God. We're gonna fall. That's why the blood of Jesus is so But I didn't keep that law of yours, God. I messed up. I did it again. I said I'd never do it. I did it again. First off, the Bible says he forgives our sin and remembers them no more. It doesn't mean God doesn't remember like, well, I never, I don't remember. It means that he'll never bring it up again. He'll never bring it up again. 
So when you say, I did it again, God would say, did what again? Any amens? But let me show you what's happening in the moment. I learned this, and thank God I learned this. I was in a theology class at Vanguard University back in like 88, 89, or whatever it was. I was, I don't know, I was early, I was like seven in college, and I got there early. (laughs) But my theology professor said this, and I thought, oh my gosh, it's so true. He said, in the Old Testament, now listen close. He said, in the Old Testament, they were in a relationship with the creation of God. The creation of God was the Old Testament laws, right? So they're in a relationship with the laws. Keep the laws. In the New Testament, we are in a relationship not with the creation of God, but with the creator, God himself. Does that make sense? In the Old Testament, they're in a relationship with the creation of God, the laws. I'm relating through laws. In the New Testament, I'm in a relationship with the creator, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. See, if you're living a relationship based on the creation of God, the law, it's not going to work. You're always going to fail. You're going to eventually wonder, am I really saved? You're going to wonder, where do I stand? It's the same thing like we just described in earthly relationship. Where do I stand? Where do I stand? But if you understand that I'm not in a relationship with the creation of God, the law, I'm in a relationship with the creator, God himself. It's not based on laws. It's based on what he's done and my faith and his grace in my life. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay, let's get get a little bit further in this. Okay, here we go. Let's go further. Now, <clears throat> now look at, um, well, in verse 9, in verse 9, I'm still in verse 9, guys, so, so don't, don't jump right there. In verse 9, he says that um, <clears throat> God cleanses the heart, correct? Correct? Okay. Okay, now think, think, I'm going to say it, then I'm going to try to explain it. Did you know that by this truth here, when you got saved the moment you put your faith in Christ your heart was cleansed by God was it not? that's what it says right? did all your bad behavior change? (laughs) no no way neither did mine so God therefore can cleanse a heart way before he changes bad behavior is that correct? that's correct huh? And we all carry a little bit of bad behavior, don't we? That means church is messy, right? If you're coming here thinking they need to get it right, well, you need to get it right then. If you think that's the way it is. No, you you can, church is full of hypocrites. Well, yeah, because there's a lot of bad behavior. We're humans. And if you don't want to make more hypocrites in here, don't join because you'll add another hypocrite. Right? No, am I right? Church is messy. We are, no offense, but we are just a bunch of bonehead sinning under the blood followers of Christ, right? Am I right? That's what we are. So it's very, very messy. And yet, we can come together bonded by the blood of Jesus. Our heart is cleansed. I'm in right stand with God. I'm trying to live this thing right. But, and, and that you're messy. I'm messy. Boy, you're a mess. Oh, Jim's a mess. But we all get along and we move forward the kingdom of God. Amen? 
That's the way it works. Wouldn't you love your earthly relationships to live that way? Oh, yeah, yeah, you are kind of messy. Oh, yeah, you are kind of fallen. But you know I love you, and I'm sticking with you. Right? Instead of always pointing out what you think is wrong. Uh, uh, now, let me, let me drill in this, because I've seen this. There's just some, this is like, okay. <clears throat> let me tell you why what I just said is so important. Because every church, and I mean every church has it, the onboard terrorist in the lobby. Every church, from time to time, has onboard terrorists in the lobby. You know what I mean by that? Because I've seen it. I've watched it. I've had to kick out a few. The onboard terrorists in the lobby what they typically do is they eventually look for what they don't like and what you're doing or what you said. And they really feel like it's their job to go correct everybody. And they're going to say, hey, I need to talk to you or can I meet with you later or can I set up a time with you or whatever. They're going to come and tell you what's wrong with you. I'm going to give you the permission to walk away from him. They don't have control over your life. Do you know why they don't have control and shouldn't have control over your life? I can show you right here in these verses right now. Because if you let them do that to you, you're going to start to feel like you're some mediocre, unsaved person. But here's the problem with that onboard terrorist. Watch this. Look at verse 10. Because Peter says it great. He says, now therefore, here's Peter continuing. Why do you, the Pharisees who want to put the laws and talk to you about what's your problem in your life, and you, are you really even saved? Christians don't live like that. Therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? What did he just say? What did he just say? He said, you guys, you're coming here to correct us and telling us all this stuff that we need to do and all these laws, when in reality, you don't even keep the laws. You're not even capable of keeping the laws yourself. Did you catch that? So the onboard terrorists, every southern, they're rare, but they're there. They come up to you, just whatever they're telling you to correct, turn it around and say, what are you correcting right now in your life? Right? Because they're going to make you think you're not saved or you're some kind of marginal Christian when they themselves have plenty of flaws in their own life. I have plenty of flaws in my own life. Not just for the sidebar, just so you understand. You can't just sin all you want and jump on the stage and sing or play. You can't do these things. You have to live a certain faith. That's a fact. Because the testimony of Jesus is huge, right? I mean, you wouldn't want to see me after service down somewhere and at the bar just drinking up a storm, right? I'm, I, that would destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so I wouldn't do that. But you've got to watch out for those things because they're going to make you feel like you're not really a Christian. Now, here's what Peter says, driving it home. He says in verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through, say it, through the, the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. So we're all saved by? By grace, that's right. So it's not works, it's just by grace. Just by grace. Okay, so let me try to piece it all together. Let me give you this last illustration to try to give you some, some more foundation for it. 
I'm saved by grace through my faith, correct? That's Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. It's not by works, lest any man should boast, correct? So, okay. So the moment I put my faith in Jesus, I'm saved and, that, and I'm saved, right? I don't have to do any, any works, I'm just saved. Now, after I'm saved, then I do good works for God, correct? Okay, good. So Moses... God tells Moses, he's been in the desert 40 years, because remember, he was really amped up about delivering the Jews. Remember, he's going to kill the Hebrews one at a time? I mean, the, the, the Egyptians one at a time. Remember that? 40 years later, he's in the desert, and uh, God calls him at the burning bush, says, I want you to go back and deliver them. Is Moses excited about going back? No, he's not. I always remember that when God tells you to do something, the longer you wait to do it, the older you get, you're less likely to do it if you wait. He's just not as eager anymore. So God says, no, you're going back. You're going to go tell Pharaoh, he's going to let my people go. So Moses goes. And of course, he almost gets killed on the way by God because he hasn't circumcised his own kids. His wife has to do it because that's a covenant relationship with God. That's an Old Testament covenant relationship because they were under the creation of God. So he gets to Pharaoh. And uh, he walks up to Pharaoh, gets audience with Pharaoh. And he looks at Pharaoh, and he says, Can you, I can't imagine. He goes, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. He just asked Pharaoh to let go of these couple of million slaves, these Hebrews, who have been building cities for the Egyptians, when Pharaoh hears that, did, did Pharaoh go, that's a great idea? <laughs> nah. He said, you are out of your mind. You are crazy. And by the way, they were in Egypt there as slaves under a prophecy of God. Did you know that? There was a reason for that, why they were there out of that Canaan's land for 400 years. That's Genesis uh, 15. So, um, he says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. <laughs> Pharaoh says, you, no way, uh-uh. In fact, here's what Pharaoh says, In fact, Moses, because of this, you go tell the people, since you're their leader now, go tell the people that, um, and by the way, Pharaoh himself thinks he is God, Correct? So when Moses says, thus saith the Lord, Pharaoh's like, there's no, I'm the Lord. But Pharaoh tells Moses, go tell the people that they have to make the same amount of bricks they've always made. But I'm not going to give them any what? I'm not going to give them any straw. Because you had to mix the mud with the straw to make strong brick. And he says, and the quota will be the same. In other words, not only must they make the bricks, they've got to now go get the straw themselves. So he's doubled the work on them. Yeah. And then Pharaoh says, and the reason why you want to take them and they want to leave is because they're lazy. Now, I got a question for you. They had been working every day, generation after generation, building Pharaohs in them cities they have, for 400 years. Do you think they're lazy? No. They've never had a day off, ever. Why do you think God puts in the Sabbath rest when they come out? They never got a day off. But Pharaoh says, they're going to work harder and they're lazy. Guys, isn't that what happens 
When you and I sin or mess up and I'll never do it again, we feel like I've got to do something for God. I've got to get busier for God. Anybody? If I just read more of the scriptures, if I just pray longer, if I just do more, stop it. Stop it. You're still saved. Nothing's changed. And so he's saying, and that's why Satan's a liar. You're lazy and you got to do more work. <laughs> and finally, after 10 plagues, Pharaoh says, take, get rid of these. Just take them. Go. And they get to the Red Sea. You know the story, right? And they get there. And, and, and here comes Pharaoh's chariots because he's lost a good deal. And, and so the pillar of fire comes up and the people are at the Red Sea and Moses, you brought us here to die. You know how fickle people are. And then God tells Moses, tell the people to go forth. And Moses says this to the people. Stand back and see the salvation of your God. Did Moses, did God tell Moses, hey, tell them all to get buckets and start working to empty out that Red Sea. You just stand back. You just see. You just look. You do nothing but see by faith. You trust me. And that wind came up and that part of that sea and they go through there and here comes Pharaoh's chariots and it kills the enemy just like Moses said, you'll never see them again to today or forever there was nothing they did there was no work they did all they did was stand there and trust and believe God and God saved them and God gave them salvation stand back and see the salvation of your God it's just by faith through the grace of God there's nothing you can do to earn it there's nothing you can do to, to you can't work for it and when you understand that it doesn't matter what anybody tells you because you'll have peace. You'll never wonder, where do I stand with you, God? I did it again. Did what again? You'll never wonder that. Next time you read through the New Testament, just watch Paul's opening statements in his letters. He says, grace to you and peace from God. Because when you walk in the grace of God, you always have peace with God. Correct? Because it's God's grace. It's nothing I could do. It's nothing I did to save myself. I just put my faith in Him. And I'm saved. And I'm saved. And so I pray you never, ever wonder again, am I really saved? Where do I stand with you, God? I did it again. You just say, Lord, forgive me, and you keep on going. You don't have to work harder. You don't have to do more. You're saved. And that's it. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, we can have that kind of peace. Now, if you're here today and, um, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, And it's starting to make sense now, this Christianity. That you come to Christ, he's, it's his grace, he favors you and me, or warts and all, but we must put our faith in him and accept him as our savior.
and our Lord and the only God, the only God there is. He wants to wash you clean and wash and cleanse your heart. Because you can't do that. Only he can. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus and today's the day you want to, great. If you backslid, you want to come back to him and you have felt like, how can I come? I can't keep these laws. You're right, you can't keep these laws. You're going to fail now and then. But it's the blood of Jesus. It's Jesus who cleansed your heart at the moment you put faith in him. God cleanses the heart long before he changes bad behavior. If you'd like to place your faith in Jesus Christ, come back to him, then I want you to do this right now. As a sign between you and me and God, just open up your eyes. It's very simple. Open up your eyes look up at me right now. I'm going to look back. Once our eyes meet, you can close them. Just do that first right now. Just do that. God bless you. Now, I want you to say this prayer, those who looked up at me. Everybody who looked up with, uh, uh, everybody in the room, also say this with those who looked up. So they're not alone. But those who looked up at me, as you repeat it, just remember, you're just putting faith in Jesus, the God-man, the creator of the universe who created you. And he's going to cleanse your heart by faith in his grace. And you're going to come into right standing with him. And you'll never have to wonder, where do I stand with you? Where do I stand with you? So here we go. Repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for saving me because I couldn't save me. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Today, I place my faith in you as my Lord, Savior, and God. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. I know I'm forgiven. And today... I follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Now let me pray. God, I pray for everybody who looked up. I pray you follow him. With, just follow him. Because you're on firm foundation now. Not because of what you can do or how good you can get it right, but because of him. It's the only way. It's the only way that makes sense. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all, all the people here, all those who looked up. Thank you, Jesus. But most of all, thank you for you, for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming this morning, and you have a great, great day. God bless you. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco or email us at hello at nbcc.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.